Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. This is episode 19. We're almost at the big 2-0, Pete. We're getting close. Getting close. Getting close to my age. One one episode at a time. <laughs> Just inching our way up there. Inching our way. So my name is Chad Young. I'm joined as always by Pete Ball. We are very excited to be talking today about a super unpleasant topic. <laughs> Disappointing players. Uh, we're, we're hitting that point in the season where... We're starting to learn some stuff, and we, we can feel pretty good about some of the decisions we made and feel feel less good about some of the others. And, and the reality is that uh, we're hitting a point now where there's a bunch of keepers that you might not want to keep anymore. Guys that you were high on before the season that you need to start making decisions about whether or not they're sticking around this year. Or in some cases, it may be clear that they're sticking around this year. You know, you kept a guy for a first-round cost. He's delivering fifth-round value. He's not a cut. But... He's working his way out of being a, a keep for next year. And so it's time to start thinking about, you know, where did you make the right calls? Where did you make the wrong calls? I feel like I made a lot of wrong calls. I feel like it happens to me every year. <laughs> yeah, well, myself as well. I mean, you can't hit them all, right? Nobody does. But there's definitely a few of my guys that I chose for today, Chad, that, you know, going into next year, I think they're still keeper worthy, but they're guys who I think maybe you're thinking, you're thinking going forward changes a little bit. Maybe there's a player that I'm going to talk about that if you were expecting him to hit for power, he's not going to hit for power. Or maybe there's someone who I think you should trade away, someone you should trade for. So for me, I guess I'm going to be looking at a little bit more shallow leagues. Guys who will probably still be keepers in your leagues, but their value has certainly changed and not necessarily for the better. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at guys who are maybe a little bit little bit deeper cuts. Uh, and that's that's probably tied to my my desire to play in the auto new universe at all times. Uh, and so when I'm looking at, at some of the keepers that I'm going to talk about, some of these guys, they were, they were players who I kept in leagues where, you know, if you were in a league that had three or four keepers per team, these guys probably weren't making the cut. If you're playing in a league with more keepers or where there's a cost associated with keepers, these guys were pretty cheap to keep and, and were probably kept in a lot of auto new leagues, a lot of other leagues that have that kind of cost structure. And they haven't really delivered yet. And so it's time to start making some making some calls on, on what you're going to do with them. Uh, and, and same thing for me. I think some of these guys, I'm, I would actually say, are, are buy low if you can do it. And some of them, I'm, I don't know, getting close to ready to move on. Um, well, well, your guys are all definitely not cuts. I think there's at least a couple of mine that that question needs to be asked. Should you be cutting them now, let alone waiting for the offseason? And I think there's there's one player that's going to be the first one that I talk about, and that can actually be a nice transition in Alex Bregman, that I think in certain ought new formats, I could actually see him being a cut. And that may sound a little bit aggressive, particularly because ought new rewards you know, on base percentage as opposed to batting average. And and that's definitely one of Bregman's strengths. But if you're ready, Chad, I'm ready to just dive right in on Bregman. Yeah, let's let's talk Bregman. All right. So I in my most important league, my most valued league, I love I love all my leagues equally, but this one may be a little bit more. I have Alex Bregman and he's been a cornerstone of my team for a long time now. But and and I'm kind of ignoring his injury at the moment, which is hard to do because he could be out for like six weeks. By the way, we're recording on June 17th. So he just landed on the IL just hours ago. Ignoring that, I'm looking at, again, this is the long-term, looking at his long-term value. I still think he's a great baseball player. Like I would love for Alex Bregman to be in the Red Sox. That would be fantastic. 
But for fantasy, you know, right now he's posting his lowest walk percentage walk rate of his career, 11.1, his highest K rate of his career, um, or really since his rookie season at 16%. That's not good because that's his biggest strength is his plate discipline, his ability to get on base. His hard hit percentage and his average exit velocity are both around his career average, which you could say is a good thing because he's been a great player throughout his career. So it's a good thing that those are at his average, but those have always been low. Um, he's a guy who he gets his power from pulling at a pretty extreme rate and lifting the ball out. And while his pull percentage is actually at a career high, his fly ball rate is his lowest since 2017. He's hitting a ton of ground balls for him around 46%, which for him would be his highest ever by a pretty significant margin. I don't know what to identify as the real issue. I think part of it is definitely our expectations because of his year two years ago where he hit 41 home runs. Our expectations might be a little bit out of whack. The Astros are also producing very well. And so he kind of sticks out as someone who's not living up to expectations. He's been a lot more aggressive, Chad, at the plate this year, swinging at more first pitches. He's swinging in the zone way more. But you add it all up and, and you have a player who, despite a 41 homer season two years ago, he lacks power, but exceeds at making contact and having an excellent eye. And and those two attributes look like they've taken a step back or two and his numbers have taken a hit as a result. So I still like him. There's still obviously a ton of talent. He's just 27 years old. He'll eventually start hitting more homers, at least at home, where he can just yank them out right over that. I forget what that part of the stadium's called in Houston. Uh, Crawford boxes, right? There it is. Yes, that that's his that's his happy place. But if you're looking for another 41 <laughs> homer season, or even like a even maybe a 30 homer season, I I don't know how many of those he's going to produce. Yeah, I mean it's interesting if you go back and look at what he did in 2018 and 2019, where he put up 72 homers over two seasons. He had his career highs in home run per fly ball year, the fly ball rate those two years, 18.6 in 2019, 14.0 in 2018. If you go down, though, and look at his exit velocities and his hard hit rates, they were up that year, but not a ton. Uh, and actually, his, his average exit velocity really wasn't up much at all versus the last two years. Um, 2018, 2019, he was 89.4 um, or 89.3 over those two years. The, the last two years now, 2020, 2021, he's at 88.8. Half a mile per hour difference, not huge. His max exit velocity is down a little bit, not a ton. It's, I don't know. I, I Part of me looks at this and thinks, was that just an inflated number from him, right? Is he just, you know, and I think this is sort of what you're getting at, right? Like, is that 30 or 40 home run season just sort of a thing that happened rather than a skill that he has? And because I don't see anything that suggests he lost a skill, but I don't see anything in those seasons that suggested he gained anything either. And, you know, it's it's hard to know what to make of that. I think you're right to assume that that power is not gone, but just never going to reach those heights again. I think that's a fair assumption with him. And I think that the bigger concern, like you said, is he's now in his third straight year of his walk rate going down and his strikeout rate going up. And they're still very good. Uh, you know, he's got an 11.1% walk rate, a 16% strikeout rate this year. Those are excellent numbers. Most players would be thrilled to have that walk rate and that strikeout rate. But that strikeout rate is the worst he's had since his rookie year. And that walk rate is his worst since 2017. So, I mean, it comes down to well, what's actually actionable here, right? Because, you know, it's still Alex Bregman. And I mentioned maybe you're not new. He is a cut. Like if you have a really expensive Alex Bregman, I don't know if he's a $40 player. 
right? Like, is he a $40 play? Probably, probably not new points, but I think we can begin to question that. We'll see how he does when he comes back from this quad injury in, you know, your typical head to head keeper. Like I'm probably still going to end up keeping Alex Bregman, but I do think we need to potentially adjust our expectations in that. Yes. I think a lot of people going into the season thought that Bregman was not a 40 homer, not a 35 homer guy, but I don't know how much we took that into account. And if we look at where he was getting drafted next to guys like Arenado and, and Devers and so on and so forth, I think he might actually be a half tier or full tier below those guys. And that wasn't something we expected going into this year. Do we need to talk about trash cans? I mean, is that something that like, like I, I, I you can tell just from the way I'm talking, I'm hesitant to bring it up, but, it seems like last year they get busted. They they presumably stopped doing anything that they shouldn't be doing. And he's been a lot worse. He hasn't been bad, right? I think it's I think very important context here is like he has still been a very good player. Even this year, he has a 340 Woba, which is not great. But there are an awful lot of baseball players who'd be very happy to have a 340 Woba for for the season. So he's not he's not bad by any means. But boy, not knowing that a breaking ball is coming could have a huge impact on your ability to just turn on it and put it in the seats. Yeah, I, I would definitely see that with a player with a different profile. But since his plate discipline hasn't really changed, like it doesn't look like I don't know. That's, I guess, one of the first places I would look with this situation, right? Like, okay, now you, you, you think normally, you know, here comes a fastball, but now it's not like, are you going to start striking out more? And his rates really haven't changed that much. I think it, it's pretty easy to identify why he, he had that power. And that was the home run to fly ball rate, which he cited. And just the fact that that's a short porch in left field, he pulls the ball and he hits it in the air. And that's a recipe for success. So you, you get a little bit of luck mixed in you're gonna have those homers. So to answer your question, no, not really, especially since they're right back at it besides him, like the rest of them are just hammering the baseball right now. And he was a top, top elite prospect. Like when he got called up and started producing, it wasn't like this came out of nowhere. So I don't think so. I think it's just, he may not be, he's awesome. He's a awesome, awesome baseball player. He just may not be quite as good in fantasy as we may have hoped. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think, you know, I do think the the success the rest of the team is having is a, a at least a piece of evidence to suggest that, like this isn't just this isn't just about garbage cans and whatever else was going on there. Buzzers. Buzzers. The non existent buzzers. That's right. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean I think it does also look like he's just having some weird stuff with his batted ball profile right now. His fly ball rate is down. His ground ball rate is up, but his line drive rate is also way lower than it's ever been. I don't know. He's hitting a lot of infield fly balls. So his infield fly ball rate this year is 13.9%. It's never been, it hasn't been that high in about five years, 2017. It was 16.7, but other than that, it's never been that high. It just, it feels like there's just a lot of things that are off. And I sort of wonder if, I mean, I don't mean to imply that the injury is a good thing by any means, but I sort of wonder if a break will let him just reset. He's going to have to almost go back. Like if he's out for like five, six weeks, he's going to have to go back almost like spring training and rebuild his swing and get himself back in game shape and all of that kind of stuff. And I wonder if getting a chance to go on like a rehab assignment is not going to do him wonders. So we'll see. I think he's still a very good hitter. I think he is still going to put up some excellent seasons, but I think you're right to sort of, temper the expectations to 20 to 25 home runs instead of 30 to 40. 
So I'm going to jump into one of my disappointing keepers, disappointing so far. This is a hard one for me because this is one of my my favorite players in the game. I, I'm just a huge fan of this guy. Uh, Dominic Smith, though, has not done what I hoped or wanted him to do this year. He was so he had such a rough time when he first came up. He made some adjustments before the 2020 season, and the last two years have been so. Or before, sorry, before the 2019 season. And then the last two years have been so good for him. And this year really has started off rough. And again, looking at him, like his strikeout rate is up a little bit. It's 24.7 after being 22.3 and 22.6 the last two years. His walk rate is a little better than last year, a little worse than the year before. It's really his his home run for fly ball rate, similar to what we're talking about with Bregman. It is 12.8%, which would be the lowest of his career. Um, he's at no a little bit fewer fly balls. Uh, he's hitting a little, you know, too many ground balls a little bit, like we talked about with Bregman. But it's not that different from where he was the last couple of years. Like last year, he had a 33.3% fly ball rate. This year, it's 32.2. Down, but not in any sort of major way. But his home run per fly ball rate in those two years where he was so good, 2019, 2020, over those two years, he had a home run per fly ball rate of 22.3%. This year, it is 12.8%. Now, that is coming with some meaningfully less impressive contact. His average exit velocity is down. His barrel rate is down from last year. His hard hit rate is down from last year. They're both up from where they were in 2019, which was also a good season, but only a small amount. And and we know that the ball is a little bit jumpier this year in terms of exit velocities. And so the fact that those numbers are down is... I think fairly concerning. He has had some, I guess you would say bad luck. His his WOBA is 304, but his ex-WOBA is 343. So there's already reason to expect positive regression coming there. The big thing with Smith for me is if I go back to, you go back to like late May, uh, let's call it May 31st through now. So it's, you know, two and a half weeks, something like that. This is absolutely an arbitrary endpoint. So you're just gonna have to deal with that. <laughs> but, but in that time, he's got a 156 WRC plus a 392 WOBA. His average exit velocity is 89.3, which is not great, but is back up near where it was in the past. His hard hit rate is over 50%. It's 51.4%. Again, a lot of Hard hit rates are up this year, but that is back up above where it was in the past. So you're starting to see him get back to what he did well. The other thing that's really nice to see in this, you know, 17-day stretch is it's not BAPIP-fueled. He has a 290 BAPIP over that stretch. So there's nothing there that you look at and think, oh, well, that's not real. This, you know, I can't buy into that. His home run per fly ball rate in that stretch is 30.8%, which is high and it'll come down from that but he's got four home runs so you're really talking like maybe he should have three instead of four you're not talking about some huge shift there and when you add that all up i i'm starting to feel like all right maybe he's just coming around maybe he had a slow start there's a million reasons guys could have slow starts this or any season and so i'm now at a point with smith where i would recommend buying low I, I can't do that because I bought low two years ago everywhere <laughs> and I've kept him for two years everywhere. But if I didn't have him, I'd be buying low because I think that there's probably some frustrated managers out there who 
are are done and are ready to give up. Yeah, there probably are. I mean, I, I, I think injuries are another part of that, right? I mean, we're losing guys left and right. So if Don Smith is available in a more shallow league, I would definitely consider picking him up. And then, like you said, he's done better recently. Looking at his profile, it does look a lot like it's been it's been quite a bit of bad luck. I mean, it hasn't all been bad luck. He's he's just he has not been good this year, and there's no way to argue it. But it looks like he is underperforming a lot of his expected stats, even though they're not as good as they were last year. I do worry, though, with the Mets in contention. And right now they've got a few guys out, which is definitely helping Dominic Smith's case. When everybody's healthy, is he going to start losing playtime because he's so bad in the outfield. And this is a question I, I, I brought up before, um, back before the season even started, but you've got Michael Conforto. He's about to start a rehab assignment. I, I don't know what the deal is with Brandon Nimmo. I know JD Davis stopped baseball activities, but he's going to pick them up back soon. I mean, those are three bats. That's a third of their lineup that could return and begin to bring his play time into question a little bit. I mean, if he was in a platoon, he would have the strong side, so I wouldn't flip out about it. It's just something that's on my radar. But if you're looking long-term, you can't be you can't be worried about a current platoon system when you're cons- talking about your keepers, right? Because that could change on a whim. Um, and and obviously, if he is turning things around more recently, they're going to want his bat in the lineup, so it doesn't even matter. Yeah, I will say, you know, his his defense, while it is you know, is certainly not a strong point uh, to, to say the least, <laughs> has been getting much better reviews lately. The Mets have said numer a couple times that they they feel a lot better about what he's doing, and the advanced metrics agree. So his defensive run saved in the outfield, not just this year, but the last two years. So going back to the start of 2020 is zero. Now, that's not great. He's not going to go win a gold glove anytime soon. But if he hits the way he's capable of hitting, zero is not bad either, right? I mean, I think it's it's important to realize that with defensive run save, zero means he's a completely average middle-of-the-road left fielder is basically what that's saying. He is just as likely to cost you a run, but with his defense as he is to save you one. And so that's that's a pretty good look. His his UZR per 150 going back to the start of last year is six. So that actually would suggest he's an above average defender by that metric. Now, defensive metrics are notoriously fickle and they require very large sample sizes. We're looking at about 556 innings of defense over from him over the last couple of years, which is not enough to to really try to make any meaning meaningful conclusions from that but he's actually playing well enough in left field that if we go to a universal dh next year i don't think it's a given that he loses that left field job and that's actually a great point i forgot about the universal dh yeah in the future i mean here's the thing i think his job is safe because i think he's a good enough hitter and he is he is their better defensive first baseman so if there were a dh i think pete alonzo would be your dh and Dom would be the first baseman in New York. But he's actually, I'm trying to remember where I saw it. And I'll have to see if I can find this. There was an article, and it was just like a blog post. This wasn't like some, you know, the team saying anything, anything like that. But a blog post or something talking about the possibility that the Mets would actually go after a DH or first baseman in the offseason if that situation comes up and leave Smith in left field because he's been so much better. Wow. And like I said, the metrics really are now, again, I don't think that's the team saying that. I don't think that's, uh, I need to try to find the source of that. I think it may have been just like a, a, a Mets blog that was saying like, this is actually a possibility now, but the team has said his defense is getting better. The 
metrics certainly suggest his defense is getting better. And I think he's starting to put that that concern to bed. Um, although I still think Major League Baseball will solve that problem for them in the offseason with the universal DH. One can only hope. I mean, the other thing, too, about, about Smith is that as a bat, he's really not a platoon bat. So it would have to come down to the fielding. So if it's improved, then then he won't be pulled out. I just when I think about the Mets, I think about the fact that they are missing arguably three outfielders right now. And so with his struggles, that began to concern me a little bit. But you look at his numbers the last two years against lefties. They're actually pretty good. I mean, he's he's producing and it's not really saying much and it's a small sample better against lefties than he is against righties this season anyway. So he he doesn't really profile as a platoon bat. Um, Nevertheless, it'll be an interesting situation in New York when those guys come back. I just I guess I don't think Dom Smith is going to be the victim. I think it'll more likely probably be J.D. Davis or Jonathan VR. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. Somebody just tried to offer me VR in a trade. Um, I'm in a league where we have a $285 salary cap. I've got about 35 or 40 bucks in cap space. and There's no loans in this league like there is in auto new. And team who's out of contention is trying to sell. I shouldn't say trying to. They're open to selling a $47 Juan Soto. They are asking a lot. But the deal that he put on the table was my $15 Mookie bets for his $47 Soto, his $16 Alec Manoa, and his $5 VR. Can we rewind for a second? <laughs> how, how do you have a Mookie Betts that's cheaper than an Alec Manoa? So the way this league is structured, this is one of the fun things about Keeper Leagues, right? They all have their own unique format. So Endless possibilities. The way this league is structured, when you every year you can keep up to, I think it's 14 players. Those players go up in salary by $2 or 10%, whichever is larger. So any, basically anyone under 20 bucks goes up two bucks. Anyone above goes up more. In the offseason, so in auto new leagues, there's there are actually auto new has two forms of this arbitration process. The one, the more common one is that allocation where everyone assigns money. And so if you had a cheap bets in an auto new league, people would price him up over time. This league uses something that other auto new leagues use, which is a vote off system. So in this league, every year I can protect two players. And then two other players get voted off and become effectively become restricted free agents. You get a, a coupon to get a discount on them at the auction. So you can get them back for like $4 less than whatever their auction price is. Convoluted system. But the result of that is a few years ago, I grabbed a probably at the time a $7 Mookie Betts when it was reasonable to have a $7 Mookie Betts and a like $3 Jose Ramirez when it was reasonable to have a $3 Jose Ramirez. And they go up $2 every year and every year I protect them and they don't get voted off. And so now that, that, I mean, as an example though, like that Soto in the middle of that run where I've had bets and Ramirez Soto got promoted in that league. You can't add prospects and there's a, there's a prospect draft, but other than that, you can't add prospects until they're promoted. I picked up Soto for, I think actually $16, the same price Manoa just went for uh, when he came up, kept him through the season and then protected bets and Ramirez and Soto got voted off my team. Right, which is it's not like you even made the the wrong call. I mean, I guess technically you'd rather have Soto than Ramirez, but how do you make that decision in that that year? You know? Right, that year there was, and, and he was he would have been eighteen dollars at the time versus like a seven or nine dollar bet. Oh, that's not even close. At least for Mookie, but even Ramirez too, because yeah, been right Ramirez, either one of them, they were around that same price. Yeah. So I mean, at the time it was. It was a little bit of a tough choice, but it was also, you know, Soto had been up for less than a full season, right? It's like, right. I, it was hard for me at that moment to be confident he was going to be Juan Soto and not like Brett Lawry. 
Right. He was he <laughs> so, was literally 19 years old, I believe. Right. And I also I sort of figured, all right, I'll, maybe I'll get him back a discount. He ended up going for a super high price. That price was worth it, and that's totally fine. Um, I don't know. I have no I have no regrets about that one. But that's how I ended up with. So then Manoa was not drafted in our prospect draft this year. It's only a two round draft, so a lot of guys don't get drafted. He got nominated as soon as he was called up, and he went for sixteen dollars. And that's why there is a $16 Manoa and a $15 Mookie Betts available to be traded. The leagues um, you play in, man. My God. Yeah. It's awesome. So, so anyways, um, the point of this all is that VR was offered up as part of that deal. And I was like, I don't, I don't even want VR. This is a, yeah. a relatively shallow league. It's 12 teams, 25-man rosters. And like, I think VR is about to be a bench bat. So Most we'll likely. see. That was a really roundabout place to end a conversation about <laughs> Dominic Smith's disappointing start to the season. Um, my, my big summary on Dom is I think he's been, I think he is still a very good hitter. He has been much, much better lately. I think that, you know, I hope that he continues to perform this way for the next week or two. So that as Nimmo and Conforto and Davis and everyone else on that team start coming back, he's, his team is looking and saying, He's been so good over the last month, because by that point, it'll have been a month, that we don't have to take time away from him. Because I think I think a, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was also worried about that, but I think he's going to play play his way out of that concern, at least for me. Do you want to hit us up with, with your next name? Yeah, so here's a transition. Here's another first base eligible player. I think that's the only real comparison I can make here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my next name is the reigning American League MVP in Jose Abreu. And I think I'm going to make a lot of enemies with this podcast because I'm choosing players that like everybody loves and that are studs. And I'm like, ah, I don't know, in keeper formats. Now, the obvious first thing right off the bat is that Abreu is 34 years old and he turns 35 next year. To me, again, in Dynasty, it's a little different, but in keeper, it doesn't really bother me that much if he's going to continue to produce. But his numbers are down this year. Um, he's still hitting quite a bit of homers. He's got 12 homers and he's always going to be an RBI machine because that team, especially this year, that, that offense is awesome, even without Robert and, and Aloy. But he's only hitting 252. And I think there's some red flags that are beginning to show that has made me put quite a few, at least a, a, a few, we'll leave it at a few first baseman above him in my first base keeper rankings. And I'll talk about some of those names in just a second. But basically, his stack has sliders. They still look great. They're clearly down from last year's MVP campaign, but he won the MVP. I mean, he was awesome last year, so that's acceptable. And he's still hitting the ball extremely hard. Average exit velocity is is around 93 miles an hour. It's right in line with where it was last year. Hard hit percentage is over 50%, which is ridiculous. But his K percentage has risen every single season since 2017. And it is definitely taking a toll on his batting average. Um, his walk rate has gone from poor to surprisingly adequate this year. So he's at about an 8% walk rate, which fine uh, compared to where he's been in the past. But perhaps due to this being probably the best team he's played on, like that, that might be why his walk rate is so high. But I do think age is catching up with him. If you look at fastballs. So in 2020, he saw 562 fastballs. He hit 380 against those and it was a 341 expected batting average so that was like right where it should be and he was whiffing about 20 percent of the time on fastballs it's a entirely different story this year he's faced almost the same number of fastballs just 11 more 573 fastballs so far this year he's hitting 248 against them with a 250 expected batting average so that's like it, it he's he's done what's expected and he's whiffing 34 percent of the time on fastballs 
if that isn't showing your age, I don't really know what is. The line drive rate is way down from his career marks, and his ground ball rate is up over 50%, which you really don't want to see. So bottom line, if, if he's having more trouble catching up to fastballs, he's striking out more, he's hitting more balls on the ground, then while he still will be a monster in RBI, and I still think, like Alex Bregman, he's a good player, I still think he's been jumped by quite a few first basemen in the rankings. Maddelson comes to mind. Maddelson, I definitely would rather have over Jose Abreu. Obviously, Flag Guerrero Jr. And although probably not, I'm, I'm starting to reconsider this one. I, I don't think I would. Jared Walsh is beginning to enter that conversation. So Abreu, still probably going to be keeper-worthy, still really good. He's he's a cornerstone in that lineup. He's not the guy he was last year. And you probably didn't need me to tell you that, but he's showing his age a little bit. Yeah, I think the, the thing that concerns me more with Abreu than the showing his age thing is that like his 2021 overall, the overall line he's producing looks an awful lot like his 2018 and his 2019. And so right now, like his his Wobas those years, 2018, 337, 2019, 344, 2021, 340. Um, his ex-Wobas those three years, 2018, 349, 2019, 354. This year it's 362, which is actually higher. But you're still looking at, you know, three out of the last four years where he's meaningfully underperformed his ex-WOBA and his numbers overall look very similar those years. And then 2020 sticks out like a sore thumb where he was just at another level. And, and so I don't know. I, it's like he's been disappointing if you considered last year to be, you know, not necessarily a new baseline for him, but at least showing that he still had a 360, 370 type WOBA season in him. And when you look at it now, it's easy to say now, but when you look at it now, it looks like last year was an outlier and, and an aberration. And if that's true, then what we're seeing from him so far this year is just sort of who he is. And it's who he's been since 2018, except for 60 games last year. It's a great call. I mean, when you look at it, really is it's the same guy for three of those four years with the MVP season being the outlier. But then I, I went and I looked. Okay, so the difference, again, I found that the most drastic difference was the fastballs. And although he crushed fastballs more than ever before in 2020, and that makes sense given what we've just discussed, he's never done this poorly against fastballs. He's always, always crushed fastballs. So that is something I'm looking at. That's that's definitely a concern for me. But otherwise, I think you're right. He's he's pretty much the same guy. So this means he's not his 2020 form. He's the guy we had before, which was a really good fantasy asset, who's also immensely struggling struggling with catching up to fastballs at the age of 34, going to be 35. So if you have somebody in your league who still kind of views him as like the MVP, a top three first baseman, top four first baseman, I'm looking to to move him. Um, and, and maybe target one of those younger first basemen in my longer term leagues. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think that's the that's what I'd be looking to do. I, I was sort of I was a little bit down on him coming into the season, anyways. So maybe I'm just sort of biased to not be surprised by what he's doing so far. But that's where we are. Let's jump from an MVP at first base to a pitcher because we haven't talked about a pitcher yet. Usually you're the one to bring up pitchers, but today it is my turn. All right. I will talk. It's because we're talking about disappointment. If we're talking about pitchers that people wanted, you'd be all over it. Yeah, that's disappointing pitchers. That's that's my zone. So the guy I want to talk about is, I almost feel weird calling him a disappointment. And I'll explain why in a moment. But Herman Marquez of the Rockies has 
not done what I hoped he would do. And the reason I say it's weird to call him a disappointment is if I look at what he's done over the last couple of years, his strikeout rate is up from last year. Um, his FIP last year was 3.28. It's 3.54 this year, obviously worse, but not drastically so. His XFIP is 3.83. Last year was 3.73. His Sierra last year was, uh, or sorry, I had the backwards. Last year was 3.83. This year it's 3.73. His Sierra was 4.27 last year. It's 4.23 this year. Like when you hear all those numbers, it feels like I should be saying he's doing exactly what we expected. And how could I be like, I should have known what I was getting myself into. Uh, and I think there's some truth to that. But what's challenging for me with him is I feel like I've lost the ability to use him when I used to be able to use him. And so if you look at last year, his FIP on the road was 3.53. This year it's 4.40. He is walking 4.05 per nine after walking just 2.68 per nine on the road last year. His home run per nine is up by more than uh, more than 0.5 from one. Say it again. His home run per nine on the road is up by more than half a point from 0.82 last year to 1.35 this year. There's just a lot of really challenging numbers with him. And he was a guy who in the past and where I've kept him, it was in formats where I felt like I could use him a hundred percent on the road. He was a guaranteed start for every road start. And then at home, I could spot start him. I could use him for maybe, you know, out of, out of 15, 16 starts, he would get at cores. I could use four of them, five of them, something like that. That's enough though. when coupled with the road starts and now you're using 20 out of 30 starts, that's a pretty good place to be. And this year, I feel like on the road, I'm scared to use him. And as a result, he's really not, he's not delivering the value I expected him to. Yeah, there's been a couple of away games where he's gotten absolutely torched. One was against the Giants. Their offense has been pretty hot this year. And the other one was very recently. It was earlier in the week against, or last week against the Reds, where he got smoked for eight earned runs. I mean, I, I still don't, feel comfortable necessarily pitching him at cores, even though he's been better there. I think I would still target him on the road. And like you said, he's been a little inconsistent there. I'm just still, I guess, kind of holding out hope that uh, first of all, the, the, the away numbers are being driven by those, those pair of atrocious outings. And the other thing is I, I still think there's a pretty decent chance he gets traded. He's giving up like no home runs and that's even at cores, which is really impressive. And And I, I think that's one of the more, notable things about him ever since that second half of 2018 where we all thought or hoped that that was real and it really hasn't been is that if he is limiting home runs and all of a sudden the strikeouts are up a little bit right like he's over a strikeout uh, per inning now maybe things are starting to trend in the right direction where if he does get traded all of a sudden we have a real asset here and I know that's something you and I kicked around in the past and, and our last episode was talking about trades but I think he's a really interesting candidate to get traded this year I do think that's a possibility and I think the home run numbers I mean at home this year he has thrown 49 and two-thirds innings and given up two home runs that's ridiculous two. at cores on the road he's pitched 26 and two-thirds innings and given up four home runs um but it's he seems to have just I don't know. He is getting, the numbers are weird, right? It's he is striking out fewer guys on the road. Um, his walk rate is a little bit lower on the road as well, which I guess is, is good. His BAPIP is a lot higher. His home run is his home run rate is a lot higher. I don't know. I, 
I just feel like I can't project what to do with him. And because I can't project to what to do with him, I end up never starting him. I'm just scared to use him. So, you know, maybe it's, maybe it is unfair for me to call him disappointing. Like I said at the beginning, I'm not sure that he is, I'm not sure it's reasonable to say that I was expecting more and he should be doing better or anything like that. Like most of the other guys we've talked about are legitimately performing worse than you should have expected. I'm not sure that's true for Marquez. It's just the shape of it makes it really hard to know what to do. Well, I think he, he was going, if I remember correctly, as a top 200 player. So the fact that he's got a, a an ERA over four and a half and he was being drafted as a top 200 player, I, he, he definitely qualifies as a disappointment. Thank you for that validation. I feel better now. Of course. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm here for. What's the point of having a co-host if you can't make you feel better about your borderline <laughs> picks, right? <laughs> so that was that's Marquez. I, I think, you know, looking forward on him, I want to see those blow-ups on the road go away and we'll see if that happens. I'm right now he's a guy who I would trade if I thought I could get good value for him. In the meantime, I'm just sort of not using him. And and in shallower leagues, that means I'm going to cut him because in shallower leagues, you can't have a pitcher on your bench you're not using. In auto new leagues, he's just sort of riding the pine until he till I feel confident that he's gotten right. Which therefore I think gets him borderline into should I cut him if there's a better option out there? And so far, everyone in the world is hurt, so there's no better <laughs> options out there. But if there were a better option out there, I don't know. I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to wait. So let me throw you a, a couple pitchers, and you can tell me if for this season, not necessarily for keeper, you would rather have them. Okay. Uh, okay. So what about uh, Rich Hill or Herman Marquez? <sighs> Um, that's a good question, man. You hit me with a hard one. You were supposed to just say like Jacob Degrom, and I'd be like, yes, I would rather have Jacob. No. Um, I think I would rather have. I think I would rather have Marquez than I don't know. No, I think I'd rather have Hill. I'm going back and forth. They, they've got pretty similar sort of underlying numbers and peripherals so far this year. I think Hill, I would be a lot more confident using. Like I just would be able to find opportunities to put him in my lineup, which right now I can't do with Marquez. And in terms of home ballpark, they, they we couldn't have picked two more different totally. pitchers, right? Um, all right, two more: Frankie Montas or Herman Marquez. Uh, for me, it'd be Montas. I'm a, I'm a huge Montas fan, though, um, and so I'm I just I'm a believer in his ability to 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 be a legit ace. His numbers this year have actually been better than they seem on the surface. Fairly similar to Marquez again, but uh, I think he's got another, I, I think he still has another level that he can reach. And so I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by him. Yeah. I'm looking at his game log now. I, I, I didn't realize how, how great he's been. He had that really rough start to open the season, right? His, his first start, he went two and two thirds. He gave up seven runs, all earned four strikeouts, three walks and a home run. And then a few starts later against Minnesota, he gave up six runs over four. And other than that, he's been solid, right? Yeah. Even even if I even if I get rid of that first start and let and make him suffer with the results of that Minnesota start, since his second start of the season, he has a three point four eight FIP, three point seven six xFIP. If I wait till if I look after that Minnesota start, we give him the first you know that's four starts that we sort of wipe from the slate. His last 10 starts, he has a 3.13 FIP. Yeah, he's he's been awesome. So, yeah, wow. That, that, that one's an easy Montas for me. Okay. All right. So one easy one, one hard one. And uh, let's see what you say here. 
Herman Marquez or Nate Evaldi? It's an interesting one because I think if you could guarantee me the same number of like healthy starts from them, I would say Evaldi. But I think if you if you consider the possibility that Marquez might get traded, that he starts to you know he gets over those two blowups on the road, and the possibility that Evaldi, you know, he's made 14 starts this year. That's the most he's made since 2018. He hasn't made more than 21 since 2015. So. Is his season, you know, 75% over at this point? Like, I don't know. I don't know what to expect from Uvalde. And it, what, like, it just feels like he's destined to miss time at some point. And so, man, I, a guarantee, you know, assuming health, right? If they're both on my roster and I have to pick one of them to start today, I'm picking Uvalde. I'm more torn on that when I start to think longer term. So I think I, I I would take Hill and I would take Montas. I don't know if I'd take Evaldi. And he's really struggled going deep into outings this year, Evaldi has. I don't know really what that's all about. Maybe that's their way of trying to preserve him for the for the season. But he it, no, it can't be that because he gets he gets into pitch count trouble as well. I don't know. I think I'd rather have Marquez. I'm not really particularly intrigued by either of them going forward for the season. Yeah, that makes sense. So my last guy, Chad, um, is actually somebody who, uh, so I'm going to end on a kind of positive note, uh, somebody who I think you should just buy low on. And I, I think he's a very obvious candidate for it, and that's Manny Machado. So I think people might look at Machado and say, okay, this is a guy who has the stigma of dogging it all the time, and he signed that big fat contract. And okay, he had one great year last year. Not he, He's had more than one great year, but he had that monster season last year, but otherwise he's going to kind of return to this middling nonsense and if anybody kind of feels that way then take advantage of that and get him because he's currently posting his best average exit velocity hard hit percentage walk rate so while the numbers on the surface look down i think now's definitely a time to buy like there's stuff to suggest that he's still just as good as he was last year and just as good as he's always been in his career manny machado is awesome he's continuing the trend he started last year pulling the ball a lot more he's at 44 and a half percent last year he's at 42 percent this year but for his career, he's just 37%. So it's kind of like a new trend, which is obviously great because he was so good last year. He's overall been a little less aggressive at the plate, which possibly explains the numbers being down. Like luck definitely plays a factor here. He's underperforming his expected slugging percentage. He's underperforming his expected batting average. He's underperforming his expected WOBA. But pitchers aren't really approaching him any differently. They're still throwing a lot down and away, down and in. So like... There's no noticeable difference. It's just that he's underperforming. So to me, the bottom line is you just got to buy. He's a career 296 Babbitt, but that number this season's at 261. He's underperformed his expected stats. Like I said, he's kept up some of those adjustments he made last season. He's playing in a beautiful place to play in a great lineup. He's just 28 years old. He's paid. There's no pressure on this guy. And he's been one of the most underrated players in our game in terms of consistency staying on the field for 150 to 162 games, playing a full season and and playing at a pretty high level. I don't think he's appreciated enough for that. So if somebody's dangling Machado because they see his average down in the 240s and they're worried he's returning to, I guess, his 2019 form, which still isn't even that bad of a player, um, I would I would go and grab him immediately. I'm looking at Machado now, and the only thing that has me a little concerned I'm trying to what I'm trying to decide right now is how concerned it has me, I guess I would say. If you go back to let's say if you go back to 2015, 
2015 was his first season really breaking out, right? He, he came up in 2012. He was 19 and 20, 21 years old, those first three years. And he was good, especially for his age. But like his offense, his his best Woba those three years was 332 when he was a 21-year-old in 2014. 2015, he puts up a 370 Woba. So that's really where he sort of broke out. If you go back to that year, he's had one, two, three seasons with a 16%, with a, a K rate below 16%. And the Wobas in those seasons have been 370, 377, and 391. He's had one, two, three, four seasons of over 16% um, K, K rate. And the first of those, he had a 366 Woba, which is excellent. But then after that, 328, 335, and this year, 324. And so... I don't know that there's enough there to say there's this clear, like when he strikes out more than 16% of the time, he's not good kind of pattern, but it's, it's certainly what has happened, whether or not it's, you know, predictive or meaningful or just noise. Um, And so this year he is, he's walking more and he is striking out more. He is taking more strikes than he ever has before. Uh, His, his zone swing rate is down to where it was almost in his rookie year. And so I don't think like I don't think he gets back to that sort of 391 woba he posted last year even like the 370 to 380 range like he was a couple years ago. I think that he does bounce back from where he is and so I still think he's a buy low but I think he's a buy low looking at like a 345 350 woba not a 370 or 375. And so if you're going to buy low make sure you're buying low with the right expectations. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a totally fair assessment. And, you know, I, I say he's been consistently awesome and I, I do believe that, but within the consistently awesomeness, there has been, this is going to sound crazy, some inconsistent awesomeness where like he, he's looked like, Oh my God, Manny Machado, totally elite top five player, which he's been in the four before. And then it's like, Oh, well, I drafted him to be top five, but he's like top 30. And so like, there's, definitely been that inconsistency and maybe it is that magic number in terms of k rate but like you said i I still think he's a buy low it's just obviously if you're if you're buying him thinking he's going to just be what he was in 2020 extrapolated over a full 162 game season well that's unrealistic to expect so definitely don't do that yeah no i think that's right and i mean he's still like the other thing with machado is it feels like he's been here forever because he has, like, he's been, he's been up for almost a decade now. This is this is his tenth season. Is that right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, this is his tenth major league season. He's only twenty eight because he came up when he was nineteen. So, you know, it feels like he's been around forever. You feel like he's this older guy, and he's not. He still sort of should be just in his prime. Uh, so there's still a lot to like looking forward, and he's a. Uh, he is locked into a pretty good lineup there for the foreseeable future. So the last guy that we wanted to talk about, um, as I said, this is my turn to talk pitchers. So I want to talk about Marco Gonzalez. And Marco Gonzalez is a guy who, for me, was a keeper in very specific formats where his ability to go deep into games and limit walks really mattered. Um, I'm in one league, the league I was talking about before with my $15 bets, that league Strikeout to walk ratio is one of our categories, and quality starts is a category. Um, in auto new head to head leagues, like the one that you and I are in, the you you are limited to a certain number of starts per week. And so, if a guy goes 
you know, seven or eight innings instead of five or six innings. That's just bonus points. And so in, in formats like that, Gonzalez's ability to go deep into games is something I really, really valued. And he just hasn't had it. He just hasn't had it this year. Um, he's gone six innings just three times. One of those times was opening day when he gave up five runs over six innings. Then he's got a then he's got a start against Houston and a start against um, the Dodgers. He had two in a row that looked really good, where he went one earned over seven innings against the Dodgers, two earned over six innings against Houston. But other than that, you know, four and a third, five, four, four, five. And if you kept Gonzalez, you did it because of one skill he has, and he's not he's not showing it. And on top of that, his walk rate is up over three per nine, which is again exactly what you didn't get him. For. Yeah, no. I, so this is why I don't like players like Marco Gonzalez and these players who max out at like eighty eight miles an hour on their four seam. They walk such a fine line that the slightest change the the slightest error difference in their approach thing they need to address can result in absolutely disastrous results and in gonzalez's case he's a guy who's in a six-man rotation he's getting absolutely clobbered because he's he's missing his spots his expected era is at eight and a half where like if you drafted him like at the time you probably thought oh, i'm getting this guy at a bargain because he's an innings eater he's probably going to post somewhere between a three and a half and a four era and that's fine with me he'll go deep into games like you said but i think he, he could still get that part back but it's it, the limited ceiling is something that i don't like in my starting pitchers and i think these guys that throw again 88 87 miles an hour they can have stretches where they look great and, and we're seeing it now with Aaron Savale, who throws harder than that, but is still, I still think fits this bill. And it can go so quick. It's such a fine line they're walking. So I, I'm out on Marco Gonzalez. I hope he turns it around, but I, I, I don't have high expectations. Yeah, I, I'm. My guess is he'll turn it around because I just don't see any reason he wouldn't. But I don't, I don't know how long I wait for it. And and like you said, there there's such limited upside that I don't know. I don't know why I would wait for it. Right, because it's like That's a great question. I'm just there, there's not that much to get back. This is some like Victor Robles level scary stuff, and I, I hate to just mindlessly cite you know expected stats and and stat cast sliders because usually so many of them are affected by the average exit velocity and 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 the like, especially expected ERA. So, but I, I just have to bring this up. He is literally in the bottom percent in all of baseball, in expected WOBA, expected ERA, expected batting average, and barrel percentage. And again, I know all of those are those are linked, but when you see that, it's like, what? This guy was going as a top 150 pick? Um, so in terms of disappointment, I, I would agree you've hit the nail on the head, and I would have no interest in keeping him for next year. Yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, he did such a good job limiting hard contact in the past, and it's just whew. Not oh, happening my. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Not happening anymore. So I don't think you're going to be able to sell him to somebody who wants to buy low because it just low on him is too low. <laughs> and I'm not, he's not going to be a keeper most likely. And as a result, I think I'd probably move on from him pretty quickly right now. I might even move on from him just to stream. Oh, he's in streamer territory at this point. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, those are our, our six guys that we kept in at least one place and are disappointed by. Before we go, though, we need to get to the auto new question of the day. 
what you got for me? Yeah, so I, I talked about two third basemen who I think are pretty comparable, Chad, and, and that's Alex Bregman and Manny Machado. Machado does have him by about two years, I think, maybe a year and a half. Machado's going to be 29 this year. Bregman's still just 27. But in new points leagues, like the league that you and I are in, they are very similar in terms of average salary. Machado's $38. Bregman is 39 So my question's pretty simple. Who would you rather have? Ignoring the fact, which is hard to do, that Bregman is out for... I don't know, probably six weeks. Who knows? Um, so who would you rather have, Machado or Bregman? Yeah, I mean, I think trying to leave aside the injury, man, I'm sort of torn. And and here's what I'm thinking about. Machado has the more recent great season, right? So the, the last sort of great season from Bregman was 2019. Machado had a great season last year. But really, they've both been sort of up and down just in different patterns. Uh, and so it's... It's a little hard to know, you know, what to make of that. They both are in good lineups. Bregman is in a much better park to hit, which definitely plays a role here. The other thing about Bregman, and maybe this is getting outside the the bounds of the question a little bit, but the Astros may have a hole at shortstop in a few months. And Bregman came up as a shortstop. And I don't know that it's been... I don't know if it's been discussed that he could potentially move there. I would imagine it hasn't been written off because I think there's every reason to believe he could be a good shortstop. And so I think one of the big differences between the two, at least for me, is that I could see a world in which Bregman gets shortstop eligibility back. And him having shortstop and middle infield eligibility it would matter. Uh, it would make a big difference. So he hasn't played shortstop since 2019. Um, he played 495 innings of shortstop in 2019 when Correa was out. But that was sort of the last time they needed a shortstop and he was the guy they went to. And so if they, in six months, need a shortstop again, I don't know if they're going to go to him again. So I, I think I think right now, the combination of the better park and it's a, it's a, he's a little bit younger, he's in a better park, and there's at least a possibility of him ending up with shortstop eligibility once again. That combination of things is enough to push me towards Bregman versus Machado. If I were playing just for this year, maybe Machado then. I mean, if we're talking just this year, you have to account for the injury. Yeah, be- I mean, sure, sure. I'm again trying to think without the injury. Without the injury, like if... You know, let's fast forward six weeks and Bregman's coming back healthy and, you know, we're getting really close to the auto new trade deadline at that point, And I get to I have to pick between trading for one of these two. I think sure. even at that point, I think I would take Machado knowing what I know now. Who knows what I'll say six weeks from now. But looking beyond that, I think it's Bregman. I think Bregman's the one I want long term. Yeah, that's all excellent. I mean, that's that's the stuff that we have to look at, folks, when we, we try to decide between these two any two players that it's like splitting hairs, right? Like park factor matters. Position eligibility matters. And when Breg and age, obviously for keeper and long-term. So when you take those three factors and they all favor one guy, I actually think Chad, you've convinced me because going into this question, I think I might've actually said Machado. And I, I think I would go Bregman. And I love the part about shortstop because this is the first year in at least three years that Bregman has not had shortstop eligibility on ESPN. So that means that, you know, when, yes, when Correa got his quote massage um, and, and had to miss all that time, Bregman <laughs> filled in for him at shortstop. But it was something that Bregman had been doing constantly because Correa was a guy who was injury prone and, and Bregman was filling in there 
long before then. So it's such a great point, and I definitely think could separate the two. Yeah, I, there there aren't a lot of things to to pick between them, and they're both excellent players, and I don't think you could do wrong with either of them. But I do think that's that's the big difference. If they don't turn it around this year, though, they're both going to be auto new cuts this offseason at, at 40 bucks, anyways, I think. We'll have to see. Um, but it depends an awful lot on what they do during the second half. So with that, thank you all for joining us again. Uh, this is an interesting one. Good good to talk about some disappointing players. Some of them I feel a little better about. Some of them I don't feel better about. But that's just sort of the way it goes. Remember to subscribe to Keeper Cut. And to follow us on Twitter at Keep or Cut, that's cut with a K. You can also follow us individually. You can find me at Chad Young. You can find Pete at Pete B Baseball. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, love to hear what you think of the show, topics you'd like us to cover in the future, anything like that. So hit us up, and we will see you next week.